Do we have a listener question? And we have the question of evil. Where do you, where do you want to go? We could combine them together since we certainly could. Good Friday is about human evil and sin. Yeah, I and I, maybe we'll start here. I did not. I feel like it, it was. So I, we started going to restoration in 2017 and it was right after Easter because we did Easter at another local church. And then we're like, yeah, this still isn't feeling right. So we found Resto in May of 2017. Um, and I feel like it was maybe a year later mm-hmm. that it had to have been because that would have been Easter um, was the first time I had ever understood Jesus's death as a political event. Ooh. As opposed well, coming to, in hot today. As opposed to, well, I just, it makes so much more sense. You should never talk about politics or religion, but politics and religion. We're going to do, we're going to combine light. them and do both. And maybe two, two negatives equal a positive. I just, I think that that is a very interesting, like a, it, it makes so much more sense to me than um, substitute, what is it? Subst- penal substitutionary, penal substitutionary atonement. atonement. Yeah, I think, uh, I just always think about that during Easter now. Mm-hmm. Um, because we're constantly having to not rewrite that story, but like reinforce the narrative with our kids of like, this isn't a story about how God loved us so much that he had to kill and torture and maim his son right? or allow that to happen. It's Jesus was a victim of a political system and of systemic oppression and mm-hmm. of powerful people and powerful positions that wanted to shut him down. Yeah. I mean, even, even if you think about what Jesus talked about the most is the kingdom of God. And how do you understand kingdom of God apart from politics? Like mm-hmm. a kingdom is a political system and, mm-hmm. and, uh, order brought into the world through, you know, in a kingdom it would be a king, mm-hmm. um, and how the Jesus judged all the kingdoms of this world on the cross, mm-hmm. which is a really weird way to backwards way of thinking about it. But you know, we, you know, I would imagine grew up being told that Jesus loves you and God loves you has a wonderful plan for your life, uh, unless you reject Him, then it's eternal mm-hmm. conscious torment forever and ever and ever. And it's a really there's a tension there that I think we live in that mm-hmm. uh, is doesn't sit right with us, which is, you know, option one is arms of the ever-loving God. Option two is an uh, eternity of torture and punishment. Right. And it really, you know, if somebody once told this parable of, uh, of a king who had a, a daughter that he loved deeply more than anything in the world and wanted her to be happy and, and wanted her to be married to uh, a man that was worthy but who would be worthy of the king's daughter mm-hmm. and so to everyone's surprise he finds a common man uh, works with his hands um, a person with uh, integrity and dignity and worthy of honor and respect and you know since it's a fairy tale handsome yeah you can make it up as you go yeah, yeah that sounds yeah, yeah. great just just <laughs> just stunningly handsome and he goes up to this this man and says i would love for you to marry my daughter if you do the kingdom's yours. My wealth and power is yours. You will live in the in the castle forever, uh, and you will be like a son to me. You will be my son. If you say no, but know that beneath the the castle is uh, cages, and you will not only be locked in those cages forever, you'll be tortured forever. What do you think? <laughs> is it a yes? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How and, are you feeling about this choice? You know, if you feel that that choice. He, there would always be a question with this young dashing prince. Do I love her? 
or am I, was this just purely a move of fear of consequences? Mm. And what happens in, if our faith begins in that journey, then the, the fact of God's love is so overshadowed by the, the threat and consequences of not loving him. Like, could we ever know if we ever even loved him? Right. Or are, are we just trying to avoid the punishment? And then that view is then projected onto Jesus. Like mm-hmm. Jesus took that, you know, that wrath, that, te- that torture and punishment from God on himself, on his body. And what's the, you know, when you say political, you know, that what's lost in that telling of the story is the evil humans do mm-hmm. and, and how it was a collusion of the religious system that viewed him as a heretic. Mm-hmm. Him dragged to Herod, who's the richest man in the ancient world, and Herod getting bored by him. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I thought you, I thought you'd be cooler. I thought you'd do something. Send him away. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Rome put mm-hmm. put him on there. And so, if you think about that through the lens of religion, economics, and politics, all of them mm-hmm. had a voice in his condemnation mm-hmm. over him. And and the only voice of the Father is a voice of love. Mm-hmm. And so if you think, well, who put Jesus on the cross? Well, if you look at Acts, you find out it was all those systems that put him there. And in, in each context, each the, the early sermons were about how we, our word was a word of evil and wrath and judgment and violence, but God forgives. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the political aspect, you know, it's easy just to view it through the lens of partisan politics it's it's more than that it's just all the systems we create mm-hmm. are uh, are those systems that put jesus on the cross right the systemic oppression and the way that someone it's interesting too because someone like jesus who like was in a minority who did not come from a family of means mm-hmm. like experienced all of those systems of oppression right which i think means means more to me as a human being than what i feel like is typically pitched of like Jesus has been through, like, Jesus has lived in a human body. He's experienced all the things you've you've experienced. So, like, Mm -hmm. he sympathizes, empathizes, and understands what you're going through. I think that is a much more powerful message. Jesus knows what it's like to be oppressed by a system. He knows what it's like to, uh, you know, create and cultivate your own community. Mm -hmm. He knows what it's like to, um, to suffer under, you know, conditions that are outside of your control. Those kinds of things is much more comforting than... yeah. Yeah, I mean, just look at, I mean, look at the story. Where were his friends? Hiding and denying him. Mm-hmm. What were his enemies doing? They were triumphing. They were getting what they wanted. The, mm-hmm. what, was the, what was the crowd doing? They were shouting, crucify him. Uh, what is his father doing? Well, that's what Jesus does the night before, is go to his father to be grounded in love, knowing what was a, a, ahead of him. The cup that he wants passed is the wrath of us against him, against, mm-hmm. uh, against God and God, he's looking to his father uh, to for the strength and the resolve and the courage to withstand that that evil. Um, it's you know you have to ask the question. Well, then how do we get it backwards? Well, who profits from getting it backwards? Yeah. Like we're off the hook mm-hmm. then. You know yeah. we're we're our hands are clean if in telling the story of uh, you know, wrongly, and you have to think that that's the motive. But people all over the world hear that story and they hear it in the terms you're describing it. You know, mm-hmm. it's like when we're on the side of power and wealth, you know, we need a different story to frame it so that we, are, yeah. you know, we're off the, you know, in some sense off the hook. 
Do you think it's like because it it almost seems to like moving from a like a communal uh, like systemic responsibility and more to like the individual? Like, does that make sense? Of like, yeah, you know, it's it that it really is. Like, I I you know when you look at the way that um, let's just let's just take something non controversial like Black Lives Matter. Just I, really, yeah, yeah, just something that we all agree something on. Something neutral, you know, the dignity of of black bodies and mm-hmm. black lives, and you know, you have the left who points out the sources of oppression, but struggles to talk about individual responsibility, personal responsibility. Mm-hmm. And you've got the right who really doubles down on on personal responsibility. Mm-hmm. You know, the uh, people that just always take it back to you know, I'm made it. I got out. Look at me. Right. I've got a platform. Bootstraps mentality, um, right? But with no, with no, uh, no categories for systems of oppression. Mm-hmm. And you, you know, I think the gospel brings both. It brings freedom to critique those systems that are oppressive, while also emphasizing um, personal responsibility and responding to mm-hmm. it. And, you know, I, you look. I'm reading Galatians right now, and you have in, in Galatians. Well, I'll be preaching on it. So uh, the the other podcast. <laughs> The that supplemental other podcast, podcast there, uh, is on there, and, and what's interesting in there is is you've got uh, the Gentile converts, and then you've got Jewish. He, Paul calls them Judaizers who come in and tell them they're doing it wrong. You need to mm. you follow all these other rules, and so even in that story, you've got an oppressed, beleaguered people who are now coming in saying, "But this this is an area we have control over," and um, it's you know we you you had said we want to talk about evil. And you know, that's one of the things we want to talk about. So we, we can talk about it here. You know, I think we tend to tell the story in ways that benefit us the most. And um, there was a famous story of G.K. Chesterton 100 years ago when, when all these different British authors were invited to write a response to the question of what is wrong with the world. Mm. And, and so you could imagine... You know, and that was before the internet. This is before the internet. This is the original tweet. And uh, <laughs> newspapers, they're called. They, they're actually news on paper. It's really strange times. You ink on your fingers. Yeah. And, it's very, and then you silly putty to copy yeah. the... There were, there were standards and journalists of rigor. It's a different world. And so the, you know, the politician would write, well, you know, we need good governance. We need people who, are, who understand their elected duties and serve the people. And you've got educators that are saying, you know, if we just really double down education, people mm-hmm. could learn the story. And you've got... You know, police policing who would say, you know, we just need good laws that are enforceable and, and enforced fairly. And and then G.K. Chesterton, to the question, what's wrong with the world? He just his essay was, I am. Mm. I'm what's wrong with the world. And you look at Solzhenitsyn and he says, you know, the dividing line between good and evil runs through the heart of every person. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got. Miroslav Wolf, who who says that. Um, you know, the problem with the world is that we don't count ourselves among sinners and we don't count our enemy among humans. Like we, mm. we separate people into groups and, and that impulse is the same. And even, you know, if we were to, it wouldn't take long for you and I to have this conversation where we would agree upon who the bad ones are, mm-hmm. which would mean agreeing that we're the good ones. Right. And then that we we would see evil as this thing that we need to quarantine ourselves from because they're the problem. And I think that, you know, one of the things I noticed on, so I did not one, not two, but three Good Friday services over, over good, you know, Monday, Thursday, uh, Restoration's Good Friday service, and then this economical one in, in town. And in the, when I went to the First Congregational Church's Good Monday, Thursday service, I had a, a teaching role and I had 
as is my way, some scripted jokes and stuff to get me, <laughs> keep it lighter. As soon as I got up there, there was a somberness in the room. Mm-hmm. And same with Restoration's Good Friday service. There's something about Monday, Thursday, Good Friday. There's something about the moment before the resurrection where we were confronted with the evil of the world. There's a somberness in the room mm-hmm. that I, I, I walked up there, especially in the congregational church, and thought, okay, this is, there's a somberness in here. There's, mm-hmm. there's something happening in this room where we are beyond ways I think we could even articulate coming with humility mm-hmm. and somberness and recognizing that we all have, you know, we put Jesus on the cross. It's not, it's not them. It's not those people. Mm-hmm. It's us. It's that we are all standing uh, together in solidarity of our own sinfulness and participation in evil in need of rescue. And mm-hmm. I think that's the, that's the good news of, of, of Easter. It's we have good Friday, but even good Friday is illuminated by the light of the empty tomb that mm-hmm. we know how the story ends. We know that Jesus resurrects, he overcomes our evil and offers us a, a new kingdom, a new way of, of ordering the world where mm-hmm. um, the first are made last, those in the bottom are brought to the top. Um, those who are, are peacemakers are called the sons of God. Those who are humble and meek uh, are considered kings. You know, mm-hmm. the, this completely upside down backwards kingdom is now available and offered to us. What was Good Friday like for you? What I mean, what in general, what is Good Friday like for you? What is Good Friday like for us? Um, <clears throat> let me let me separate it for you. Uh, let's let's let me let's put on that. You can answer it personally, or you can answer it kind of uh, professionally, because I, th- I think there yeah. is there is a, a a sense of shame that we all carry, mm-hmm. and and you know, as a clinician, you you know, we see shame as this this thing to be overcome. So do you, do you see that shame, that sense of of guilt walking in, you know, when I'm, I'm standing up there, do you see that? Is there a healthy component to that? Or do you see that as no, this is, this is the, the power that's used to oppress. And, and, you know, we need to kind of, how do you, how do you wrestle? How do you wrestle with good, good Friday in your heart? I, good Friday for me is a, is a difficult, a difficult, like, uh, high church holiday because it, uh, I feel like it, it's the one time of year I feel like that the and not I'm going to say this and then I'm going to have like a hundred like uh, asterisks uh-huh. next to it. Ready for the caveats. It's when it's it's for me. Good Friday is difficult because it's emotionally heavy and it brings to the surface the idea that this service is is um, not stationed. But um, oh, my gosh, uh, like set up whatever the fancy word for that is. Right. Uh set up in a way to make you reflective, Mm -hmm. to make you have this, like to elicit this emotional response. Right. Um, engineered, it's engineered this way. Uh Thank you. I have a master's degree. Um, it's engineered to elicit an emotional response. And so I personally and professionally, it's difficult for me. I, I know uh, like, I know this may sound ironic. I, as a, as a therapist, I, have all of the knowledge about feelings and about uh-huh. engaging your feelings and what I'm supposed to be doing, right? I also go to my therapist, you know, when I see her a couple of times a month and I'm like, hi, I'm really, really anxious and I can't, I don't know why I still can't like process feelings in real time. What is that like? Mm-hmm. So going into something as emotionally heavy as like a Good Friday service, I do find myself, I didn't go this year 
Um, mostly because we were like, it was my kids were with their grandparents and it ran into that time. We were literally around the corner at the time the Monday Thursday service was starting. Uh-huh. And the kids were like, oh, we want to go. Like they really wanted to like see. And we were literally in flip flops and like shorts. And I was like, you guys, we cannot, you guys are too little to like right, understand right, the yeah, weight yeah. of a Monday Thursday yeah. service. Like I was like, we're going to be disruptive. So no, we can't go. Um, but the emotional heaviness, I feel like for me, tends to I struggle with it because I know like when we go to resto that's that's one of the best services of the entire year it's not set up, it's not engineered to be emotionally manipulative but there is an emotional it elicits an emotional response sure um so I struggle with it I don't struggle with it in the same way that I did I didn't grow up going to good friday services um which as an adult I highly appreciate mm-hmm. right because it wouldn't it would have been presented in like traditional ways of you know, this your sin holds Jesus on the cross, and you, did this. you, yeah, that this is like a personal, in a very weird way, like a very personal responsibility, and and as a kid, you just don't know what to do with that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I would say it's it's it, I kind of feel torn about it. It's heavy yeah. and just uh very emotional, and kind of brings that behind the scenes. I'm I'm very thankful for the way that our church approaches it. Yeah, because it because it really do, I mean we really just tell the story and. In the in the my little seven minute homily, I just talked about Peter's denial, and and I think when you talk about Peter having three different ch- ch- chances to do what he to be the person he thinks he is, he falls short of it, and then it ends with him weeping bitterly. And I think just in telling the story of somebody falling short of their own standards, and, and somebody who thought they're one person, and then things got a little hard, and they found out I'm not the person I thought I was. Mm. Like we can all relate to that, right. and connect with that. Um, you know, I was, as you're talking, I was thinking of the movie Saved. Did you see that movie Saved? Yeah, with Mandy Moore. Yeah, with Mandy Moore. Yeah, Mandy Moore and uh, Kieran. Was Kieran Culkin in that? Yeah. Anyway. He was. He was. Yeah. Right? It was blonde Kieran Culkin. Yeah. And snarky Kieran Culkin, you know, unlike the roles he usually plays. But he, <laughs> um, there's a scene at the beginning where the, the schoolmaster, who kind of is a stand-in for like every youth, bad youth pastor, he, he comes on the stage doing back handsprings. It's the first day of school and there's everybody's cheering and he's like pumping the crowd up and he's saying like, was it, you know, it was a great summer. Was it good to be back? And great to see you. We got a great year ahead. And then he stops and goes, but some of you did some really bad things this summer, didn't you? Why don't you come forward and repent? And then everybody starts crying <laughs> and then people start playing the stage. Yeah. And I, as a youth pastor, was like, oh, dang. Like I... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, I know oof. the temptation to do that because yeah. I know that, especially for teenagers, but I think for all of us, like shame is right at the surface. Can I can I give you an example of a story? <laughs> it's a story from when I was in high school. Sure. And we are intimately familiar with this local high school. And it's where I met Ben. I love that I went there. I, I had this teacher and it had to have been it was a literature class but we were you know as in like every class at the school there's a biblical element to it right okay and it was uh the oh my god what book were we doing it was the one where solomon maybe it was lamentations lamentations it wasn't to kill mockingbird and the marxist agenda it wasn't beowulf although that's what it should have been anyway um, I'm going to give too many details and then get in real, real local trouble. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so 
but it was the passage where Solomon is talking about um, it's better to go. It's always better to go to a funeral than it is to a party. Mm-hmm. I, I that's a real layman's term version of that sure. passage, but. Um, I think you're thinking of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. That is exactly what it was. And I don't know if I was in a mood that day or whatever, feeling particularly um, like argumentative, which is not not my, at all. That not was, at all my really attitude, right? Out of sight um, of character. Yeah. It was the what is the six? The phobic. Oh, I was very counterphobic that counterphobic day, right? Then. The Enneagram six. And I argued with this teacher who was like a very well respected, like biblical Bible person at this school. And I was like, not always. Like yeah. that that cannot be true. Not always. Right. Right? right. And he was like, no, like it's always better to like be self-reflective and like mournful and reflect on the ways that you are bad. And I was I got really pissed. Uh-huh. And I was like, you know what? I feel like this is a very common thread. This is me as an adult now. I feel like this is a very common thread through a lot of Christianity of like, I am bad. There is nothing good about me apart from God. I, there is no, like the heart is deceitful, there's deceitful who can, who like, who can understand it? Like all of those kinds of things for a person. And I'm starting to discover not everybody under, hears these messages and internalizes them the way I did. Mm -hmm. But as a person who is highly sensitive, who's very highly emotional, um, in this weird like way where I just like, uh, intellectualize all of my feelings Mm -hmm. made me feel like crap where I was like. I can't trust any part of me. Right. Because my intuition doesn't mean anything. Yeah. I mean, it's my the, gut feelings don't mean don't mean anything. It's like the monastic tradition. I mean, there there are monks who sit and think, I enjoyed that meal too much. And they mix sawdust in their bread. Yeah. To rob themselves of even a fleeting pleasure of fresh baked warm bread. And, you know, that kind of binary dualistic thinking is not helpful. I mean, right. are is it good? Like I I did a a graveside service and a memorial service last week, and I always walk away from those. And you this, did, and you did a wedding last and, week and a wedding, yeah, yeah. And they they have, there's different energies about those places, right. and so you know I walk away from the from the memorial service deeply resolved to like you've heard that that whole saying is like people spend too much build time building their resumes when they should be building their. What's or like name? thinking about how to write their obituary or yeah, what's going to show the, up in their you, obituary. Yeah, you should be thinking about your obituary because the right. obituary is is when people stand up there and remember you. Right. And they they don't think about, oh man, it was he, you know, when he bought Twitter, it was like the greatest <laughs> thing ever. And the rocket he built to the moon. It's like we, we spend so much time trying to build the thinking that that's what matters. Right. And and memorial service ground us in what actually is important. So, I, you know, I the some of that is, is true, but, you know, the the what you carry with you from a memorial service is what makes a wedding so rich because yes. you realize what's important in life, what's beautiful, and and how short it is, and how these joys right. are enriched by like you don't, you know, it's it's like saying like you should only play this note. It's like right. well, you you know, it's important not to pass over that note, but we it's part of a you know a a wider I'm picture. losing the metaphor. Yeah. yeah, picture. We went from music to, to art. It's all right. Uh, you know, mixing metaphors. It's, is just you know, part it's of framed us, yeah. within. If you go to a wedding, framed within. You know, that, you're right. That, it was interesting to go from memorial service to wedding a couple of days later, because um, it's different energies. But I think it didn't. I didn't stand up there with this bride and groom that I loved and think, I need to tell them they're going to die. Yeah, I need. I need to give them a like. Right now is an appropriate time to give them a big picture. Yeah, like when you're both on your deathbeds 
Mm -hmm. make sure you treated each other in a way that's like, you know what I mean? Like I, I just, there's both are necessary and both are important. Well, th just to, to pull it back full circle, because we are so good at scripting these things, you know, 100%. The, the reason Easter is so beautiful is because of Good Friday. Right. And it's, you know, you need both in right. there. Uh, if you don't, if you skip over the Good Friday part, then I, you know, what's the hope? Like, what are we celebrating? You mm -hmm. know, if we're, if we're celebrating a new way to be human, and if, we, if we've acknowledged the way that we tend to control things, the way in trying to control things, things go awry, how we, like Peter can't live up to our own standards, how we need mercy and grace. Like grace doesn't mean anything unless I can articulate what it, what it brings to me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if I, it's like when somebody deeply hurts you and they just go, I'm sorry. Yeah. And you, the response is like, what are you sorry for? Like, yeah. I need to hear from you why you're sorry, what right. you did, and and then that that I can forgive what what it was. And if we're unwilling to acknowledge why we need God and why we fall short, um, let me let me ask you this. I know we're wrapping up, but um, mm -hmm. you know, in that in the story of of the saved and the back handsprings and stuff, and you know him pivoting and talk about shame. Do you think that that shame is hardwired into us or do you think that that shame is culturally conditioned Ooh, nature versus nurture but with shame yeah what's your gut analogy my gut my gut reaction is that shame is something that's learned mm. because when i like i started to i started to think oh no like it's innate but like my three-year-old if she could run around without clothes constantly yep that's what she would do yep like she has no, she would go to the store with me naked. Like mm -hmm. she does not have any sense of like shame or it's the listeners. I affirm that she would go to the store <laughs> naked and, and not give it a second thought. I mean, you you know, she, she views clothes as an intrusion on her. Yeah, on her personal liberties and her like civil, you know, her civil freedoms. But I don't, I don't know that it is innate. Like I feel like it's, I feel like our ten. You know what I feel like is innate more than anything is our tendency to hurt each other. And to self-protect. Mm -hmm. Shame, I think we learn from the react, like you've talked about before, when we learn shame when the our parents have that look on their face and we're like, oh, like what I just said or did was not okay. Yeah. So I'm going to internalize that. Hmm. That's interesting. Because I, th I think, you know, when when you, like, I my favorite genre of movies and, and books is the coming of age genre, like the story. And coming of age is the way in which that innocence you're described mm -hmm. is met with something shame like that mm. you've learned the world isn't as safe as you thought it was mm. and that innocence is popped like a balloon and the, and then you you journey oh my into God, those uh, are your favorite i don't know why i don't know why <laughs> i don't know why it is but oh. the the but but it, you know the the story i have is not that well yeah now you know that life sucks yeah. the end no it's it's the way that 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 knowledge is integrated into that innocence and transcended. Like if right. it's not transcended, then it's not a story. Right. But if somebody can can navigate through that and come out a more whole person, you know, it's, there's been a lot written about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is the end of that innocence. It's it's, it's when we re, mm. we gain knowledge of both good and evil, and now evil comes into the story. And how do we how do we integrate and do that? Because I I tend to think that you know I had a uh, a long conversation years ago. Um, hopefully this doesn't change the explicit rating on this thing but it was about oh i don't care it was, about, it was about what dreams and it was about whether you know one of the one of the parts of the male journey is is waking up mm -hmm. thinking what just happened right what happened to my body 
And there is a shame that is always associated with that, which is a really strange thing to have because you're unconscious. Like, what, right. Why would there right. be? But there is. And so we had a conversation with some friends about, is that just hardwired into us? That there's mm. just something wrong and amiss? Or is that culturally conditioned and that it should be, um, I don't know if there's a female analogy to that too, but. I mean, <laughs> I was thinking of, a, I was thinking of like a more universal one, like wetting the bed. Yeah. Right. Like my, like my toddler gets really upset when she wets the bed. Uh-huh. And it's not like we've we we don't spank we don't you know what I mean we haven't hit her or told her like how dare you pee in the bed or embarrassed her or humiliated her in any way, mm-hmm. but she gets upset that something related to her body happened in the middle of the night that she couldn't control. Yeah, right. And so I think if you're asking me if shame is innate, I don't think so, but I do feel like it's inevitable. Hmm. I feel like I feel like that is I feel like shame and like we've talked about in previous podcasts, like there can be a healthy kind of shame and a very like um, uh, a healthy sense of shame and a, and a very unhealthy, very um, internalized self-destructive sense of shame. Mm -hmm. But I think both, like, I think it's inevitable to at least experience the one that is like part of being a person. Hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. Like, I I wonder if, Healthy shame has an end purpose like that elevates us higher. And unhealthy shame is a condition that we just accept uh, mm. and that live in that sense of like, this is just who I am. Uh, rather than, because I think we talked about this in previous podcasts, if, if those who do the greatest evil mm-hmm. are the ones who are most disconnected from their sense of shame. Right. And those are the ones that are able to override and do great evil mm-hmm. because there is like, you know, I think of who is somebody you can think of who's free and has no sense of shame. The first person to come to mind is, oh, Vladimir Putin. Like yeah. he has no sense of <laughs> yeah. shame whatsoever. Right. Um, and, and that's that's actually uh, a harmful thing to have because it, it doesn't acknowledge that the line of evil, good and evil passes through all of us. Right. Um, right. So good. I'm glad we fixed it. We, like well, we, we fix the problem of evil. We fix the problem. This, so is, this is going to go out there. And it's the only Tuesday. Of... So <laughs> we've got the whole week I mean, to the let everybody know we figured it out. We did it. So, As always, thank you, Crystal. Thank you, listener. Thank you, John.